0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 35 here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. If you're visiting this morning, my name's Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and we are grateful that you're with us. In fact, if you're coming to Christ Church, you've come once or twice and kind of just in and out, checking things out, and you feel like this might be a place uh, that you'd want to call home, to be a part of this community of believers, we'd love to have you do that. We'd also love to meet you, and the way that you can be met is to go out these back doors or go out the side and go out into our main foyer, and there's an information center, And there'll be uh, somebody there to meet you. And if you just simply say that you're just coming to introduce yourself, we have a little uh, gift card we'll give you that you can use in our cafe the next day. You can use it today or next time you come back. We just want to welcome you and and let you feel at home, answer any questions you might have about the church, how you can become a part of us, because we'd love if you're a follower of Jesus to come help us do kingdom work in this area. And so uh, when you're ready and the timing's right, please go to the information center. We'd love to meet you and get to know you and your family a little bit better. Uh, Matthew chapter 9. Let me tell you where we've been. I missed last week. I love vacation Sundays. I hate being trapped in my home, not able to get up my driveway because of ice. And uh, I just missed being with you. And I think sometimes not being able to be at church uh, reminds me how much I do value it. It becomes less of a habit and more of an opportunity, and I hope you feel the same way. So I expect twice the energy out of you this week than since you didn't use any last week, and uh, we'll see what happens. Let's read Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-five, and catch ourselves up. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Why would Matthew stop in the middle of the ninth chapter and tell us? What's Happening? Because let me remind you where we've been since Christmas. Jesus is in a boat and he's teaching parables, stories, to equate what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's saying in every parable, imagine if the world were like this. And he told parables about the kingdom being, even if it starts as small as a mustard seed, will explode into this great blessing for the world. The kingdom is like finding a treasure in a field. Wouldn't you buy that field immediately, knowing the value of the treasure? Or the kingdom of heaven is like a person who knows that there's a great pearl out in the ocean and spends all of his days and nights trying to find that pearl. Jesus told these parables. Then he got in a boat, and he went across the Sea of Galilee, and when he was headed toward the other side, a storm came up, and he calmed the storm immediately. And then he got on the other side, and a demon-possessed man confronted him, and Jesus cast out the demon and healed the man. He got back in the boat and went back to the other side, and a crowd was gathered, and a woman who'd been bleeding and had this a medical issue for 12 years reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and she's instantly healed, and Jesus speaks to her. But while he's speaking to her, a man had been waiting for Jesus to go to his house to heal his 12-year-old daughter, and on the way there, the daughter dies, and Jesus says, trust me, and he heals the girl and raises her from death to life. And then Drake talked two weeks ago when we last were together about two blind men who responded and two mute men who responded, rather, to this concept of who Jesus was, and by trusting in him, they were healed. Then Matthew tells us this. Jesus went through towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. He's catching us up. He's saying, have you noticed? When Matthew writes his book about Jesus' life, the first four chapters are about the beginnings, the birth narrative the temptations in the wilderness, and his baptism. The chapters 5, 6, and 7 deal with his kingdom. The You know it as the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about the kingdom of heaven, and he talks about what it's like to be in the kingdom, and to be a part of the kingdom, and how we act upside down to the world's values. And then he gets to chapters 8 and 9, and he's telling us about the signs and wonders of this king who's building this new kingdom. And all the things we worry about, We worry about nature, Jesus calms the storm. We worry about spiritual powers and and evil, and Jesus casts out demons. And we worry about sickness, and Jesus heals a woman with a chronic illness for 12 years. We worry about death, and he raises a dead girl to life. We worry about what if our bodies fall apart, and he heals the blind, and he heals the mute. Are you catching on what's going on here? We have a God who says, I got it. Aren't you grateful this morning that we don't have a God that says, you get it? But he says, no, no, I got it. In fact, the more you try to get it, the less you let me get it. And Jesus is saying to all of us, I got this. Church, do we need a God who's got this? I do. And so if you're here today going, no, no, I just need a God who steps in occasionally, you don't want God. You think you are. But when you realize without God you're nothing, then you let God get everything. And at the end of it all, we find our role in this story. Verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Unfortunately, right now, if this was a TV show, some of you would change channels. Because you know what this text is about, and it's hard. It's a hard text. It uses that E word, evangelism, a word we struggle with. You won't struggle with it when we're done today. In fact, you're going to be challenged to get over your struggle and understand it for what it really is. This is not a teaching text today. This is a challenge text. And we're going to give you an opportunity, if you're willing, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond today in a way that matters to you, not just to your preacher. Matters to you and your family and your friendships, not just to the crowd and what people think of you. And I hope you'll be prayerful for the next few moments and be willing to respond. I want to show you four things out of this text, and then I want to challenge each one of us. And I will be a part of this challenge today. First of all, Jesus notices our hardship. What Matthew is recording is something that is emotionally important to me. It's not just being sentimental or romantic, it's not just being theologically correct. There is an emotional attachment I have to this particular teaching. Let me explain it. He notices our hardship. Verse 36, let's take pieces of it. When he saw the crowds, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus notices our condition. He notices when we're scared. He notices when we're upset. He notices when we're frightened. He notices when we're bold and proud and egotistical. He, He gets us. He's not blind to us. He notices our hardship, and he feels something toward that. But he notices our condition first. He says they're like sheep that are scattered and scared without protection. They're harassed. And that doesn't mean much to us. Unless you're a farmer and you have sheep, for the rest of us, we always just think of sheep as these cute, cuddly things that are pictured in something, cartoons. But Jesus was, Matthew was making a point about Jesus that sheep aren't very smart, They're not that incredibly clean. They don't smell great. They don't have great defense mechanisms, if any at all. They're not fast. So outside of that, they got everything. (laughs) A sheep without a shepherd are going to die because they'll eat anything. They'll eat noxious weeds and I'm told that they actually blow up inside, which would be awesome to witness, but not today. (laughs) If I were Drake, I'd put up a video. I don't have one. I wish I did. But... Sheep will eat anything, so a shepherd has to lead them to fields where they'll eat wisely. Sheep can't protect themselves, so the shepherd has to stay up while the sheep sleep to protect them from wolves and bears and anything else that might attack them. The shepherd has to lead them beside still waters, Psalm 23, because if the waters are rushing, the sheep will get scared and they could fall in, and if you have a wool sweater on, you're going to drown. You see, when Jesus said they were sheep without a shepherd, what he was saying is left to our own volition, we're in trouble. He did not come to yell at us. He came to protect us, to save us. When Jesus saw a crowd, and here's the thing I love about him. This is why it's emotional to me. Jesus could look down on me and my life and he could say these words, you did it to yourself. And he would be right. And I would have to own the fact the reason my life has been wrecked is not because... Now listen, if you take out, and I know some people in this church who have been hurt and they did nothing wrong. They were hurt by someone's evil, selfish motives. But even strip that out of your life. And there's not a person in this room who wouldn't love a do-over. Because we made a choice that said to God, leave me alone. God did, and we got wrecked. When you hear Jesus Looking at the crowd and realizing they need a shepherd. Instead of sitting in heaven going, you did it to yourself, figure it out. Our God says, I'm going into their story because without me they can't figure it out. Church, is that good news or what? Amen. And a Jesus that's just pointing his finger at you and telling you to quit it is not the Jesus of scriptures. May we repent of the times we as the church has represented Jesus as nothing but a mean principle. Instead of understanding that he came into our story because we needed his help. Instead of saying, fix it yourself, Jesus said, I got it. The second truth, Jesus responds with compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He didn't look down and go, you deserve it. I can't wait to get my hands on you. Jesus looked down and he said, in fact, the word compassion, translated into English, compassion, is actually the word in the original language, I'm told the word pity. I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody to pity me, why? Because I'm an American male. If you pity me, then you're questioning my dignity. You're questioning who I am, but that's not what the word pity means. Pity, in fact, doesn't question dignity, it restores it. Pity is when you realize someone has shot themselves in the foot and are limping, and instead of going, ha ha, we go, I need to help them learn to walk again. Pity is what Jesus felt. Three weeks ago, Sunday night, the Coalition Against Human Trafficking was here and made a presentation to a large number of us over in the student ministry East Building. It was a powerful night. There was one story that was shared that I'm struggling with even today. The story was shared of a young lady who, in a very naive and foolish choice, took a picture of herself and presented it online. That picture was taken by a man who was evil. And he used that picture to control and manipulate her, punish and threaten her for an extended period of time. She didn't know how to escape her choices. She didn't know how to escape his evil choices. And that naive and simple, foolish choice cost her peace, safety, and hours and hours of remorse. And when I heard that young lady's story, I was filled with two emotions. One was of God, one wasn't. The first that wasn't of God was anger. There was a part of me that wanted to to wreak havoc on the life of that man who would do that to that girl. He's not a man, he's hardly human. And I had to say to myself, Mark, stop it. Because I wasn't willing to show compassion and pity to whatever caused that man to be the creeper he was. In fact, all I wanted to do was just bust him. And I was moved in pity, and I think this is what God spoke to me I moved in pity for that young lady who had no clue when she made that foolish choice, how she exposed herself to so much evil and selfishness and pain, and my heart went out to her. I'd love to be able to look her in the eyes and tell her she's of value. She's important, that what she did doesn't define her, that God loves her more now than ever before. Are you with me, Church? If God can move someone as selfish as me to feel compassion and so much emotion for a situation that I'm only heard of. Can you see the beauty in Matthew's account that when Jesus looked down, instead of righteous indignation, his heart went out to the people that were running around looking for some safety and couldn't find it. See, Jesus wasn't as satisfied with judgment as you and I seem to be. He did everything he could so that his judgment on each of us would be for the good we did for the kingdom rather than for the evil that we performed in our selfishness. But sometimes I wonder if the church speaks a message of judgment instead of a message of mercy. And we say, well, they deserve it. They earned it. Even that man that I was so furious at inside my heart, I had to say to God, I don't even know this person, but I'm so angry. Almost to want to hurt him. I have to repent of that. Because Jesus, who had all the righteousness in the world to look down on all of us and go, Mark, you did it to yourself. Suck it up, pal. He said, no, I'm going to come down and I'm going to take what you've earned so that you won't have to ever face it. Does the compassion of Jesus move you? Because he wants us to carry that compassion. Well, how do we carry the compassion of Jesus? We carry it by realizing what Jesus should have done to us and what he chose to do to us. And when you and I fall in love with the grace of Christ, then those moments of anger we have can be met with, but God didn't do that to you, so you don't get to do that to them. At which point, everything finds balance again under the mercy and compassion of God. Remember, we believe here that God is good and God is wise. And so God knows more about this than we do. So Jesus noticed the hardships we face, he meets that with compassion rather than judgment. Thirdly, Jesus desires the gospel to be shared. This is what we learn here in verse 37. He said to his disciples, now remember disciples here is not, I don't want you to picture just the 12. That term disciple is used quite often to encompass the entire crowd of followers, Those that were following him, remember we talked a few weeks ago, Michael preached on it in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus called them and they had a bunch of excuses and he said, unless you can leave it all and follow me, you can't be my follower. And then those continued to follow him and he's speaking to them, he says, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. He said, there's an opportunity right now for you and I to compassionately see the hardship of people around us and invite them into the mercy and grace of God. It's not another day to come in the future. It's right now. He said the harvest is ready. He changes metaphors from sheep without a shepherd to the harvest. Now I want you to notice, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it seems to me, I may be mistaken, but it seems to me that every time Jesus uses a harvest imagery, he's talking about the final judgment. Remember, he wants to judge us for what we do for the kingdom rather than how we're not a part of the kingdom. Everyone will be judged by Jesus. Jesus. Those that have followed him and walked by faith will be judged for what they brought him. The rest will be judged for why they rejected him. And so the judgment harvesting concept is here. Let me try to equate it this way, and I hope this makes sense. I tried first hour, and we'll see. I have some friends, not professionally, but I have some friends in my world who in the past, like, six months have got their pilot's license, And when I heard about it, they became like superheroes. And I was like, wow, you can fly a plane? Yeah, I just got my training, I got my hours in, and I'm gonna have my license soon. And I became jealous, and and I started to feel inferior, because here's what I concluded my whole life. I'd never be able to fly a plane. Why? I looked up the qualifications. My eyes work. I can operate a vehicle. I can read an instructor's manual. I could fly a plane. And I saw the fifth component. You have to have money. And I went, "Duh." <laughs> but if it wasn't for that, I could fly a plane. What I had done is I had disqualified myself from that ever being a feasible thing for me. Because I thought that's what rich people do. That's what fancy people do. That's what the, the brightest mechanics and engineers in the world. I'm thinking, no, no, no. I know one of these guys. If he can fly a plane, I can fly a plane. <laughs> but I had disqualified myself from ever fathoming that I could be a pilot Because I had put on it, the reason I'm not a pilot today is I've never put the time in to learn. And many of us sit here today and Jesus says there are people in your world right now who need to know that the kingdom of God is open to them, that Jesus is compassionately in love with them, that he came not to judge them but to free them. And you and I have already concluded I can never fly a plane. My preacher needs to say that, I can't. I, I'm not. I don't have enough Bible. I I, I don't. I don't talk very well. I, I I've made too many mistakes. If they start laughing at me, and you've disqualified yourself from ever flying. Church, what I want to redeem today is this: God never asks us to do anything He hasn't equipped us to do. And He has equipped every single one of us to tell people how good Jesus is. You don't need a Bible degree to tell people how good Jesus is, church. So can we be freed from the lie? That you have to be super qualified and superhuman. You have been qualified by Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because one time Jesus said that it's harder for rich people to enter into heaven than most anybody else. And his disciples asked him, then who can be saved? So he gives this great illustration, and the crowd's like, we're not qualified. And Jesus responded in Luke 18, What is impossible with men is possible with God. So before you sit here today and tell me, preacher, I'm I'm not qualified, you're wrong. Well, you're right. You're right that you're not qualified, but you're wrong because Jesus is. And Jesus said, we're gonna do it my way, not by your way. Remember, we have a God who says, I got it. So that you and I never have to say, I got it. We just simply do what he asks us to do. In fact, it says, when Jesus was ascending to heaven, he said to his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then... You'll be my witnesses. You are qualified by the Holy Spirit that lives within you when you're saved. You have everything you need to do everything he asks. Yeah, can you sharpen the blade? You bet you can sharpen the blade. Can you become better at it? You absolutely can become better at it. But how do you become better at it? It's the same way you become better at doing anything. Do it, and then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again. Most of us aren't good at anything the first time we try it. But don't disqualify yourself before it's the power that you need is available to you. He notices our hardships. He's moved with compassion rather than judgment. And he seeks for the work of God for us to participate in it. Fourthly, he asks us to pray in the harvest. This is what he's telling us to do. Look at verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. If you feel disqualified, ask God to to make you qualified. If you feel like you're qualified, but you don't really know anybody, then we're going to ask God to show you who around you is just dying to get into the kingdom of heaven. Because here's what I want to challenge you with. Don't say no for anybody else. You and I don't have the right to say no to anybody else. Some of the people in our lives that we care the most about, we have assumed they would not be interested in Jesus. We assumed that they they would have no interest and it would ruin our relationships, and why take the risk? Take the risk after you've prayed. You see, prayer will precede God's rescuing work of harvest. A friend of mine, we were chatting on text this week, and he said, what are you preaching this Sunday? Because he heard we got iced out, and I said, I'm going to use the message that I intended. I really want to preach this message because I think we as a church need to awaken ourselves to this. And he said, oh, dude. And I said, what? And he goes, you're going to preach on the two things people in the church hate to talk about. It's two of the three. You're going to preach about prayer. You're going to preach about evangelism. I said, I could put tithing in at the end, and that would have the whole... Then I'd have the Holy Trinity of turning you off. (laughs) But I said, yeah, I am, because you can't have one without the other. And I finally realized that. My attempts to evangelize have been futile because I've never really asked God to open doors that I can't open with my personality or with my logic. You see, the kindness that I have received from Jesus is the kindness I can offer to anybody else. Not my personal kindness, but I can tell them about a Jesus who has compassionate love rather than judgment for them, who sees their condition, and instead of sitting there and saying, you've earned it, he says, no, no, I want to free you. Do you know anybody who needs to know that? That God's not out to get them, but God's for them? You see, people without, without faith in Jesus are like sheep without a shepherd, They're unprotected, they're scared, they're running around. Now some of them seem fat and happy. They're getting plenty of grass, plenty of water. They haven't been bitten yet. Sounds like a lot of people who think, I'm good, I'm good. And one day I'll work it out with God. Jesus looked down and said, you have no clue how unprotected and why your life seems so harassed. Secondly, we must show compassion for them. Rather than judgment or dismissing them, we need to have pity on their condition. And pity means we feel for them Three weeks ago, I was touched by that girl's story, and I'm not a good dude. It won't leave my mind. It makes me think that there's some people out there who need rescuing in multiple ways. Third, we need to see the possibilities of faith birthing in them. We need to be a part of the solution that they face. We need to tell them about a shepherd who loves them and provides for them, the good shepherd, the one who leads us in clean grass and runs us by still water and protects us with his rod and his staff and anoints us with oil and takes away all of our scratches and injuries. That's the Psalm 23 shepherd people need. And fourth, we must pray for the harvest. So I'm going to ask two things of you today. And I'm going to ask you to respond to this challenge whether you'll accept it or not. The first one is, uh-oh, maybe I brought a fourth no talk about in church. Would you fast? Now, a fast is not denying yourself so you feel horrible about you. Some people turn fast into punishing themselves for their sin. That's not what a fast is. A fast is taking away something you enjoy to pursue something of greater value. So for some of you, and I know when I talk about fasting food, people just click channels. For some of you, that's not what you need to be challenged by. For some of you, how about you give up 12 hours on the internet? You don't go on Facebook for a week. <gasps> you don't post every brilliant thought you have on Twitter and count how many likes you get. How about, for some of us, we don't have our morning cup of coffee. Don't, Mark. Yes, I did. That <laughs> you awaken and you think, why is my life a wreck? And you stop and go, because I haven't had my coffee. God, I want you more than coffee. You see, fasting can be a five-minute thing or a 20-day thing. What a fast simply does is it realigns us with what's most important. There's been a fascinating thing happened in our house recently, and, and I'm at fault, and also I was the one who figured it out. I don't think the TV would come on if I didn't turn it on. So for about a one week period of time, I just didn't turn it on. We talked. Go figure. We got stuff done. We had conversations and sometimes we just got ahead in our work and sometimes I got to read my devotion beforehand. I thought that TV is a pain. Would you fast? Because see, when I brought this up, I believe if God answered my prayer, each one of you had an idea in your head and you said, I could do that and all I'm asking you to do is take the time that you would normally spend on that event or that thing and simply, now if you skipped a meal, I'm not asking you not to eat. When you're most hungry, before you eat, spend five minutes asking God to make you as hungry for him as you are for that burrito. Ask God to make you as thirsty for him as you are for that morning cup of coffee. You with me? First thing. Second thing is pray. I'd like you to take out your phones right now, if you have them with you. If you have a phone that's got a little wind-up thing on the side, sit this one out. (laughs) If you have an old-fashioned flip phone and you still have all of your money, God bless you. (laughs) But if you have one of those cool things you're still making 90 payments on, get it out. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to do this. I'd like you to set an alarm right now for 9.38 a.m. and 9.38 p.m like you to set this alarm to go off twice a day for the next couple of weeks. Why? Because Matthew 9.38 says to pray that the Lord of the harvest will call workers into his field. Would you at 9.38 a.m. have your phone go off? Mine goes off. Bon Jovi's living on a prayer. That's what I chose for my alarm, which was so cute because one of our elderly ladies walked up to me in the foyer after first hour and she said, who is this Bon Julie? (laughs) Must be some guru that was leading my life or something. But anyway, it's Bon Jovi. So my phone starts to play living on a prayer. Let me tell you what I've learned in the last three weeks that my phone's been set at 9.38 to remind me to stop my selfish life and pray for people to know who Jesus is. Every time, without exception, except for the weekends maybe, every time during the week 9.38 a.m. comes or 9.38 p.m. comes, I am busy doing something for myself and it annoys me. And I thought, why in the world can't it go off when I have a few moments to stop and pray? And then I think God said these words to me. Mark, because praying for the lost is as inconvenient for you as it was for me. When Jesus left the best of heaven to come to the worst of earth, he was inconvenienced. Why am I surprised that caring about someone not named Mark Christian is gonna be inconvenient? So at 9.38 tomorrow at work, you're probably gonna be in one of the biggest meetings of your life and your song's gonna play Smile at God stop for a moment and simply say, God, make me aware of how many people are scared and scattered and need you. And don't be surprised when he changes your world. You see, I want some of us today to realize that our place of work is not just a place of income. It's a place where our king has put us to talk about the kingdom and to share the good news that Jesus is a God of compassion, not a God of judgment. That our homes and our neighborhoods that our bowling leagues and our, our golf partners and our racquetball friends and our coffee people and, and our book club and, and your Facebook groups, that all of those are moments that you don't have to preach sermons. That's why you feel disqualified. You're like, I, I don't even know. Do you know how good Jesus is? Tell them that. And pray that God would open opportunities for you, that you would engage your neighborhoods, that you would engage your own homes, that you would engage your own heart, So let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. I've asked you to pray, and I've asked you to fast. The fast is a choice that you get to make. The prayer is I'd like a response toward. In the four corners of these rooms, you'll see the tables that have lamps lit on those. That's where I'm going to be directing you during the song service. We'll have two songs that follow this in just a moment. Both of those songs are powerful. I pray that you sing and listen while you respond. But we're going to ask during the songs that you get up, and go to these tables. And there are two cards on these tables. You can take both or one, whichever is your preference. But here's what these cards are about. The first one is a card of awakening. If you're a person who realizes, unintentionally, I just don't think about anybody else's faith. I just go on my own path, and I'm too worried, and I don't think, and I'm afraid, and I just don't think about other people this way, and you need to be awakened. We pray that you take the awakened card and write your name on it. Now, in between these two tables on the side walls are baskets. That's where we'd like you to take, after you've written your name on it, we'd like you to take that card and drop it in that basket. Our entire staff, tomorrow morning at our 9 a.m. staff meeting, our entire staff gathers together and we are going to be praying for you. Not in judgment, but in support. That God would awaken your mind to the people around you who would love nothing more than to hear about this Jesus. The other card is the card of engagement. That you know who the people in your world are. You don't need to be awakened to it, you just need an opportunity. And you're going to ask God to engage you, to give you an opportunity that that the Holy Spirit might speak to you in this moment. Say it. And you're like, oh, "I don't know and he say it." And you say it, and all of a sudden this person goes, "Huh?" And then you look at him and go, "Come to church with me on Sunday." Or let's get coffee. I'd like to talk to you about this. I'm not going to preach you a sermon. I'm not going to get your arm tied up behind your back. If you don't, if you don't know what church is, come sit with me in church. We'll get, some, we'll get lunch afterwards. You see how easy it is to just be a friend who loves them like Jesus loved them? So maybe today you need awakened, or maybe today you just need to be aware to engage someone in your world that needs to know the love of Christ. And we're going to ask you to go to these tables during the song. And if, when you pick up the engagement card, write that person's name down. You don't have to put their last name. Just write their name down, Bob. We're going to pray for you and Bob. We're going to pray for every single person. Wednesday night when our elders gather at 8.15, we're going to pray over these cards, these names. Because prayer always precedes the harvest. Let me tell you one story. I'm way over time. That's why I'm not looking at the clock. You get to do that when you're the senior guy, and I got two weeks worth of sermon in me. About October, I came to the elders, and I had a concern. It had been a long time since we'd had a number of baptisms. Baptisms is initiation into the kingdom. It's that moment in time where someone declares publicly that they are a follower of Jesus. And we believe in doing Bible things Bible ways. so we immerse completely underwater here. We believe that's an obedience to Scripture. And you may not always understand it, but being obedient is better than waiting around for every answer. And we just had had a dearth, and I went to the elders, and I said, I'm concerned. And I said, here's what I've concluded is, I just presume because for the longest time, we were in baptisms after baptisms, and here we've been preaching in the gospel for almost a year, and there's been less baptisms than that one year than all the previous eight years I've been here. And I'm thinking, we're preaching Jesus and the words of Jesus, and there's not getting a response, and then it just struck me. I said to the elders, it's possible that God was saying to me, Mark, you just presumed it was going to happen. You never asked for my help, so if you got it, I'll stand down. So we began to pray as an eldership and have repented of presuming that just because we talk about the gospel, the gospel works. We began to pray and ask God to move in people's hearts. Have you noticed the last 11, 12 weeks? Today, five people. We're going to be baptized into the kingdom of heaven, not because of this church, not because of anything this guy said, but because God finally said, hey, Mark, if you let me get it, you can sit out. And by just being faithful to the word, God began to move hearts, and we've been seeing a number of people accepting Christ. You may be one of those who we're praying for. As we sing, as we expect God to move, for some of you, the hardest thing in the world would be to get up from that chair and walk over to one of those tables. Remember the compassion Jesus had for you. Remember how he understands your condition and he came and served anyway. As we stand together and sing, you make yourself a way to the table and then in the middle on the walls of the baskets, you can drop those off when you're done or at the end of the service. Let's respond to praying that the harvest would happen in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together.